Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. So if you're in your living room right now, or maybe in your backyard, uh, normally I would say amen right now and thank the Lord for the worship team and just the incredible uh, tech team we have here. We're so blessed to have the resources, both humanly and technologically, to bring these services to you while we're still uh, quarantined. We're hearing a little buzz that uh, perhaps some of the things here in Los Angeles County are going to be lifted Uh, Maybe within the next week or so, perhaps the beaches and parks, those types of things will be opened back up. So continue to pray uh, for that. Uh, The world really is waiting for us to get back to some semblance of normal. I also want to strongly encourage you, join us on Thursday night. Maybe you're not a normal Thursday night person, uh, but this Thursday night, uh, we're going to take some time and just answer your questions. I know we have a lot of them queued up already. People have already sent in. Uh, many questions, and you can ask anything you want. Could be something on the Bible, could be theology, uh, maybe Christian living, something about the COVID virus or how the church should respond, or even politics, those types of things. Uh, Get your questions ready, and we'll join you here at seven o'clock on Thursday night. And I want to also, at the same time, remind you that we are getting closer to the end than the beginning of this, and so be encouraged and be strengthened be built up. And as we want to do, we want to turn our attention now to God's word. Uh, We'll be in Luke's gospel. We're going to finish up Luke's addressing of the Beatitudes, and we're going to take the second half of the Beatitudes. We're going to look back a little bit before we do that. So verses 20 through 26 today of Luke chapter 6. So take your Bibles, Luke chapter 6, verse 20 to 26. And the many Beatitudes, that's abbreviated or truncated version that Uh, Dr. Luke gives us because he's into condensing things, making it short, making it sweet, and making it so that uh, we can digest it very quickly. Whereas if we were in Matthew's gospel, this would be a series of studies that would be weeks long. Uh, Here we're able to tackle this in just two studies. And then we'll move on to the same thing with the Sermon on the Mount, which in Matthew's gospel is very long, takes from chapter five to chapter seven in Matthew's gospel, takes a single chapter here, Uh, in Luke's gospel. And so now we'll pray and ask God to minister to us uh, as we look at this second half of the Beatitudes here in Luke's gospel. Father, we thank you that we can come to you and bring our cares to you. Lord, you do care for us. You're near to those that are fearful, brokenhearted. Uh, Lord, those that are worried or concerned about uh, what's going to happen when this is all over, perhaps financially or Maybe there's a concern about a job, whether there is one or is not one, when this is all over and done. Uh, We know that the same Lord who is Lord when this started will be Lord when it's over. And we pray that you'd give us an eternal perspective on these things, God. We ask that you'd bless your word now, help us to understand it, and more importantly, to obey it. Bless us, Lord, as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to remind you as we look back, because I think it's good to look back to understand where we were last time we were together, last Sunday. And as 
Luke gives us this very short and abbreviated or truncated version of the Beatitudes, he reminds us that people who are disadvantaged are blessed. People who are distressed are blessed. People who are detested are actually blessed. People who keep their eyes on heaven are actually the really blessed ones. And now this is where it really touches us because you have been forced, I have been forced, we have been forced to break out of our routine to get out of the things that we would normally do during this time, to go very far beyond our normal comfort zones. And many of you have been forced to lean on the Lord in a new way, which you had not previously experienced. I know that is actually true, even for me as a pastor. As much as I would tell you that I am constantly leaning on the Lord, constantly trusting the Lord, constantly engaged in things that I hope are pleasing to the Lord, I can tell you this test has been something new for me personally, something new for my family personally, an area where perhaps I would even say I needed to be tested. Maybe this has been true for you because what's now going to be in view as we look at the rest of this passage, which will really focus on the next three verses instead of verses 20 to 23, verses 23 really to 26, is there are some beer, there are some barriers to living out this, these beatitudes. There are some things that can keep us really from living the blessed life. And so as the gospel author Luke begins, and we'll read these again because I think it's important. He said, Jesus lifted up his eyes towards his disciples. So he's speaking again, remind yourself, talking to you, talking to me, talking to the church talking to disciples, people who know the Lord, love the Lord, to whom Jesus is Lord. He says, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and cast you out, as your name might be evil for even the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great. And here's the key before we move on, in heaven. Jesus does not say that your reward is great here. Doesn't say that these things are all pleasurable. Doesn't say they're wonderful. Doesn't say if you're poor, you should be happy about it. He's really getting to the heart of the issue. And that is, are we living for today or are we living for the king and his kingdom and for heaven? And I think this is the thing that's being tested in us right now. It's very clear from the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that these things that Jesus have, is saying would be impossible if you don't know him. Because these are such a paradox to the world that we live in that if you were to tell somebody you're blessed if you're poor, they'd go, you're nuts. If people hate you, you should be happy about it. You see, the thing that changes what you hear when you read these verses is heaven's perspective. If I'm looking at these things from heaven's perspective, I understand them clearly. 
happy is the one who in their eternal view of things realizes you may be poor on this earth, but you're rich in heaven. Do you see how it changes it? You see, the eternal perspective on being poor is that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be poor. When I get to heaven, I'm no longer going to be disadvantaged. And you could add so many things, and Matthew actually adds in some additional things. But when you think about it, everything changes in heaven. That's why we talk about eternal life. Eternal life is not just long life forever. Eternal life is this amazing blessed life that is lived out for eternity that begins now. The Lord himself knew what it was like to be poor. And so he could completely say these things, knowing exactly what you're going through right now. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you count yourself today amongst the poor. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about that poverty. It means that our focus is not of this earth, but it's of heaven. And so we work towards being employed. We work towards having enough. We do the things necessary. We can say we did our part, but we have to leave this in God's hands. Poverty for the child of God is not permanent. Destitution in the life of the believer is not permanent. It's temporary when it concerns this earth because all of the riches of heaven belong to us. And it's important for us to start correctly before we look at these hindrances. He goes on to say those who are distressed. You're hungry. Now, I don't know how it's been affecting you, but I'm frankly really tired of Grubhub. I am completely sick to death of takeout. I want to sit down and actually have a hot meal. Now, of course, we can do that at home. But I used to enjoy my date night with my bride on Tuesday where we would go to the Red Onion and have Mexican food. And it was hot. The cheese was melting and stringy. For those of you that are eating breakfast right now, shame on you. But I enjoyed that meal. But you see, I got so used to those wonderful meals that I took them for granted. I got so used to being able to sit next to a whole bunch of people that I took it for granted. I got used to the fresh salsa. I got used to being able to choose. Well, no, nah, I'm going to change my mind right now. You see, once you go to the takeout window and you take it out, you own it. What's in the bag belongs to you. And so we can look at this from a little bit of a modern perspective and say, you know what? Maybe some of us now have the right thought when we start to thinking about hunger. Because very few of us here in this country are actually hungry. But some of us have had our normal routine very challenged. You've opened up that styrofoam box and go, oh man, that's cold. You've looked in the cupboard and go, well, I didn't have those. I had no idea there were so many bizarre kinds of Oreo cookies. And now I figured out why those new forms of Oreos have appeared suddenly in the store. 
because they're the stuff they had in the back of the barn. And they're bringing them out, and now they're putting them on the shelves because they're out of the other ones. You see, we've had our perspective changed. And I believe that's what Jesus was getting at. We must change our perspective from earth and put it back on heaven. Those who were detested, who who likes being disliked? I mean, come on, that's a sick person. Who wants to have people assail you? Who wants to be mistreated verbally? Who wants to have poverty or deprivation or persecution, these things? Who wants any of those things? The answer is nobody wants them. But the truth is, we all have them periodically. And so as Jesus opens up this mini beatitude moment through Dr. Luke, it's perfect for where we are right now. And I pray you see this. You see, if you're one of those people that's believed the lie that we call the prosperity doctrine or the prosperity gospel, that God, if you trust him, is going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. He's going to fill your barn with riches. He's going to build you a bigger house. You're going to end up driving a Ferrari. You're going to wear Gucci. You're going to have bling coming out your ears. That is such a lie that a tertiary reading of this passage proves it. Because these disciples that listened to this all died paupers. Every last one of them was not rich. Most of them didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And for the most part, the church throughout history has been the most persecuted group in most of the world that's ever existed on the face of the earth. And in many places, we still are. Not so much here in America, but you travel to Africa, you're going to be persecuted in a good chunk of Africa. Go to South America, you're going to be persecuted in parts of Africa and South America. You you go to Asia, go to India right now. Our brothers and sisters are suffering like we don't even know in India. They know what it's like to be deprived. They know what it's like to experience extreme poverty. They know what it's like to be persecuted. So Jesus is really telling us, look, these things do not a good Christian make. If you have a bunch of money, doesn't mean you're okay with God. If you have everything you could ever want in your fridge, doesn't mean you're okay with God. If you have everybody like you, doesn't mean that you're okay with God. Because your perspective could still be on earth. Doesn't mean those things are bad. But it does mean if you're trusting those things, then chances are your eyes, your mind, your heart are not fixed on heaven. And that is the crux of this. So you would expect for Jesus to now go on and say, okay, well, what are the barriers barriers to this beatitude living? What is it that could keep me from being this way? Living my life with a heavenly perspective. And so now we pick up verse 24. Notice what he says. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. 
Woe to you who are full, or woe to you who are foodies. Woe to you who think the whole world revolves around eating. Being full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So now we get the other side of this equation. As Jesus now gives us these negative aspects, in essence reminding us of exactly how important that we live these things out, how important that is. You see, it's one thing to say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm good with being poor. Until you're poor. It's another thing for you to say, well, you know, if I, I didn't get to go to the restaurant this week, I'd be okay with it until you can't go to the restaurant this week. It's another thing to say, well, I'm okay if people don't like me until a whole bunch of people don't like you. You see, your perspective changes very rapidly when you have to live this stuff out. When it all of a sudden becomes your life. And so what Jesus is saying is now the opposite, in essence, of the Beatitudes themselves. He's saying, look, if you have these things and you're satisfied with them, could it be that perhaps you have no no place, no space for the Lord himself? Could that be where you end up? And the answer is, it might very well be a barrier to you. And so you might be asking, why would Jesus ask or say these things? Why would he question our character? Why, why would he make mention of these things? You know, is there something wrong with material prosperity? Is there something wrong with good health? Is there something wrong with a long life? Is there something wrong with the praise of men? And the answer actually is there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But if those things become a replacement for a life in the spirit, the need for a savior and the lordship of Jesus Christ, then there's something very wrong with those things. Those things then become your God. And so Jesus now tells us what these barriers are, and this is by no means all of them. But I think he touches on the core of the issue. You see, because very many people are are just like the, the prophet Job. Job was a prosperous man, and there was nothing wrong with his life so far as the Bible records it with his prosperity. In fact, so much so, The scripture declares that there was not a person on the face of the earth that was as righteous as he. So he was wealthy and righteous. And yet at the same time, the moment he lost all those things, the people around him were going, oh, well, what are you going to do now, Job? What's up with your life now, Job? (laughs) And finally his wife goes, look, dude, you're like so out of it right now. Are you still hanging on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Now, you don't want your wife telling you that. 
But there's a truth behind this. And I think it's in view here in these woes. You see, these woes are aimed at things in my life and yours that very much and very often in reality can become an encumbrance or a substitute for my relationship with the Lord. They can effectively become my God. And Jesus is warning us, thou shalt have no other God before me, including the God of prosperity, the God of good food. And it's interesting that this was written 2,000 years ago when you couldn't go and get a steak at Ruth Chris. This was written at a time when I don't know what a foodie was then, but I guarantee it's not like what we see today. Living here where we do in the South Bay, I mean, we can go to a different type of food every day for a month and never even touch the restaurants within a mile of our homes. But when you trust in food, maybe you end up with another God. You see, man has always had a problem here. The truth of this is you can start to trust in things, the blessings themselves, instead of the one who gave you the blessings. And I think for us, maybe we're having our attitudes adjusted just a little bit during this time of separation so that we might see our blessedness, the state of it. Perhaps you're asking yourself a question right now, why these particular woes? Why did Jesus pick these things? Let's answer that question. I see really three specific woes here because the first two are linked together for sure. And so this first woe is woe to you who are prosperous. It's a great word. It means you have prospered. You have excess in every area of your life. And generally when you have areas of your life that you have excess in, those are places that you can begin to rest and trust in the excess in the goodness, in the blessing itself. You might be saying to yourself, well, I'm not in that category. Well, that's why there are other warnings here. Maybe you're not in that blessed state of having more than you need. Or maybe you're not in that blessed state of having ever gone to a really, really wonderful restaurant and sat down and just walked away from it. Oh, that was the most amazing meal I've ever had. But in verses 24 and 25, you see two things, and they're very much linked together. Because unless you have excess funds, you will probably also not have excess food. So the funds and the food are linked together. The money in your mouth are hooked together. Woe to you who are rich. For you have your consolation. And woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Let's look at this kind of with a fine-tooth comb a little bit here. You see, cash and caviar can kill the need for the kinsman redeemer. A life that is so full of the material blessings of this earth doesn't mean that those blessings are a bad thing. In fact, the Bible says clearly that God gives us those things, that he is a blessing God. 
So they're not inherently evil. But our wicked little hearts can take good things and do something really bad with them. And I think that's the key here. The word consolation can be also translated comfort in this context and and is actually translated comfort in John's gospel in chapter 14. Same exact word. Why is that important? Because your comfort becomes these things. Your comfort is your bank account. Your comfort is your food. Your material wealth, your blessings, though not a bad thing, can become a substitute for for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. They can become so stealing of your joy. Instead of having joy in the Lord, you have joy in your stock market portfolio. Or the size of your home or the next car, the next vacation, you can take that prosperity that God actually gave to you and it can now become a substitute for the one who gave it to you. So you no longer need God because you have the prosperity. And so Jesus is actually saying, woe to you who are rich because you might just take comfort in your riches, instead of the Lord who's going to be there every moment of every day, he will never leave you nor forsake you. The same is true for food. We, we call this comfort food, amen? Binge eating. You know, there's a thing that came out last week, and I, I just have to share this with you. The CDC is now requesting that we all wear masks inside of our homes, so that we can no longer get food to our mouth. Because probably some of you have put on a few pounds while we've been out of church, amen? Now, I'm not picking on you, because remember, I told you about the Oreos. I confessed my sin before my brother that I might be healed. But look at it this way. You know when your cabinet is full... When you can go in there, and I don't know if you do this, but we have a pantry cabinet, and on the top shelf, there are the holy things. That's where the Lay's potato chips are and the cheese balls. That shelf just below it has the nuts and the cookies. And then as you get down, you start, there's like some staples, and you get down to the bottom shelf, that's where the ramen's at. You're like, I ain't going to the ramen shelf. Put my eyes back up here on the holy tub of cheese balls. You see, our life can become like that. Pretty soon I'm trusting in the cheese balls, metaphorically speaking, of course. You see, those material blessings that we have are wonderful. But pretty soon I don't need Jesus. And before I know it, instead of trusting him, I'm trusting the fact that Vons always has everything that I need. I'm trusting that when I go to Sam's Club, I can just load up two carts instead of one. I'm trusting when I go to Costco, I, I can go in and get everything one could ever want for the rest of one's days and stockpile it so that I don't really need to even consult Jehovah Jireh anymore. Be careful. Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, 
1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, godliness, there in verse 6, with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, if you have God first, then everything else takes its proper place. If you do not have God first, then you can have everything and you're still not going to be content. And he went on to say, for we brought nothing into this world and surely we'll take nothing out. And so I want to just encourage you. He would go on to say that the love of money, verse 10, the love of money, not money itself, not a whole bunch of money. If you have a whole bunch of money, God gave you that whole bunch of money. But the love of money, more than the love of God, is the root of all kinds of evil things in our lives. And very specifically, it keeps us from being in that state where we might say we're bankrupt before a holy God and we need him. So those first two woes together, the worry about those things, the wealth of those things, they war against our soul's well-being. I can't tell you how many wealthy people I've talked to. I just constantly worry about my business. I constantly worry about my assets. I constantly worry about my home here and my home there and the things I have and the things I possess. And instead of being blessed by it, they're worried by it. The third woe is directed against those who are pleased in this life. Notice what it says. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. In other words, your soul will someday be wrenched. Now, again, let me be clear. Just as scripture does not teach against wealth, it does not teach against laughter. It doesn't teach against being happy and joy-filled. And so I don't want you to go out and join the grumpy guys and gals for God Facebook fan page, okay? Don't do that. It doesn't say that you should be miserable and make sure everybody knows it. But there are some people that are so hooked on, on laughter and everything being funny and nothing mattering, nothing having any consequences. I read the tragic life of Robin Williams. There's a guy that, you know, if you go back as you're as old as I am, you remember Mork and Mindy and, you know, hilarious, funny stuff. The guy was depressed for most of his adult life and finally took his own life. Made millions upon millions upon millions of people laugh hysterically. Takes his own life. That's a story of a ton of people that we would call comedians. You see, there's a place for laughter, but laughter is not what this life is about. We should have a measure of it. I believe in it. I believe in that Proverbs 17.22 attitude, the merriment, laughter. Those, those things can actually be a medicine to your soul. I've had to laugh a lot at myself this last month and a half. It's like, man, Jeff, you're weird. And just kind of chuckle about it. It's like, okay, I, I admit it, Lord. But the reason this is so important is when you look at the life of the Lord, when you look at the life of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah had it nailed in Isaiah 53. He was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. 
In a general sense, when Jesus looked at this world, because he was in this world as Emmanuel, God with us, he knows what you're going through. He knows the pain of your life. He knows everything about you. And in fact, scripture is so clear. If you do a little journey through the book of Hebrews, you're going to find out in chapter four that he was tempted in all ways as we are. And yet without sin, he knows exactly how hard the battle is. By the time you get to chapter five, in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers, supplications, vehement cries and tears were of him to save him from death. He he knew what it was like to go through miserable things. We have no record of Jesus laughing hysterically in Scripture. Doesn't mean he didn't. I mean, look at the apostles. That would be enough for you to laugh fairly frequently. I know I would, because I would look at, like myself, I'd put myself in Peter's place and go, yeah, you should laugh at this. But he was here to deal with the appalling horror of my sin. He was here to die for me. It wasn't all light and fluffy. Now again, don't take this too far. Don't don't move it to the other side of the table. Don't say, well, I'm never going to laugh again. Oh, please, in Jesus' name, do not let that be your existence. But do have a somber and sober attitude when you see people perishing. When you see your life go in the wrong direction, away from God, that should grieve you. We've lost contact, I think, with grief. And maybe this COVID thing has brought us back into contact with a little bit of grief. Some insecurity, some uncertainty. Some things that we can say, you know what, that was not a lot of fun. I'm not sure I like that all that much. Because in reality, people without Christ, that's their everyday existence. They are going to perish eternally. They're going to hell. And we're wandering around. Oh, hey, man, did you see the last one? Wasn't that joke awesome? Life is funny. No, life is quite serious, actually. People are still being murdered for their faith. You go to India right now, millions upon millions of people are starving. That's serious stuff. Jesus said, be careful that life doesn't become a joke to you. Make sure you have a reasonable, reasonable amount of seriousness. No wonder scripture records in the shortest verse in the Bible that Jesus wept. We do have him weeping. He wept for a lost loved one. He wept over a lost city. He wept over this lost world. So let's make sure we have that happiness factor. But let's also keep it in proportion to the seriousness of the life that we're supposed to live on this earth. Because if you're all about being funny and happy and nothing else, you don't have the same heart as Jesus. Jesus would have made a very lousy comedian. I like to make people laugh. I think it breaks up the the somber message sometimes. 
but it's only a portion of the true story. Sin, just as the prophet Hosea said, breaks the heart of God. Foolish jesting is not to be in the life of the believer, just as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus there in chapter 5. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you're pleased in this life, if you're overly pleased, if this life makes you so hilariously funny and so filled with joy about everything that's going on here, maybe you're not concerned with there enough. And the fourth thing, woe to those who are popular in this life. Notice the context here because it's important. It's for the cause of the gospel. It's for the sake of truth. Are you popular in this life because you refuse to tell people the truth about what God's word says and about their sin? Are are you willing to touch the raw and the vulnerable places in people's consciousness? Because if all you do is praise people so that they will praise you back, you are not being a faithful steward of the word of God. We need to be able to tell people the truth, even if it upsets them. Now, we try and do that in a wonderfully loving way. But if you don't offend people periodically, chances are you haven't told them the truth. If there isn't a point in time when you say, brother, sister, man, I'm seeing this in your life, and it really needs to change. Not because I'm better than you, but God's word is clear. This is not something that belongs in the life of a believer. If you are popular in this life because you will not defend the gospel, the word of God, and the sanctity of God, then you have a problem. It's one of the reasons we have so many godless laws. The church has fallen asleep. The church has just laid down. The church has given up. The reason we have gay marriage here in California, that's why. The church said, well, I just don't want to fight about it anymore. It's not a matter of fighting. It's a matter of truth-telling. It's a matter of being able to look in someone's eyes because I love you, because God loves you, and because the Bible says this, I've got to agree with God, I've got to agree with the Bible, and my conscience refuses to let me rest until I tell you the truth. You see, if you're really popular in this life, chances are you have not been the best witness you can possibly be. Because you're trying to win the world's popularity contest. You're trying to be politically correct. You're trying to be so tolerant of everything that you end up being tolerant of the things that God is not tolerant of. God will not tolerate sin. He loves sinners. But he's called sin, sin for a reason. And this is the mark of who he is, his character, his nature. And so truth will always be an offense. And Jesus says, woe to you, basically, if you don't speak the truth. If you don't speak the truth, oh, you're going to be very popular. 
when you run around spouting love is love and you equate it to an agenda that says every kind of love is the same, you are not telling people the truth. The truth is, not every kind of love is the same and not all love is love as far as the Bible's concerned, as far as God's concerned. When it refers to marital love, there's only one kind in here. Oh, it'll make you popular, but you won't be telling the truth. Woe to you if that's you. These truths all share one absolute certainty. These woes have a common truth, in other words, woven in them. And it really boils down to this third one. Just tell me what the world says and I'll do that. Get your eyes off of heaven and onto earth. Just do what's best for earth. Just do what makes you fit in while you're here. The truth of the matter is, you can live your life that way. God's very gracious. He's very kind. He's tender and gentle. You may even make it into heaven. But it will be as by fire. And there will be very little, if anything, for you to be rewarded for when you stand before Jesus. And so the truth is this, if you want immediate wealth, if you want fullness in your belly, if you want laughter, if you want popularity, you can get those things, but you're going to pay a price. And that price could be very, very, very high. It might even be an eternal price for some of you. It might actually keep you from seeing your need for the Savior. Because being satisfied with those things become a form of their own judgment. Who's your God? My bank account. Who's your God? My belly. Who's your God? My popularity. Who's your God? Well, I, I, I just believe these things. People believe a lot of things, but it doesn't make them true. It's the word of God that's true. And so Jesus is saying, get your eyes off of earth and focus your eyes back on heaven. A wonderful little book by H.H. H. Farmer. It's called Things Not Seen. And in reference to this particular passage, it says Jesus, uh, that one of the terrible things about having the wrong values in life and pursuing the wrong things is not that you are doomed to a bitter disappointment, but that you are not. Not that you don't achieve what you want to achieve, but that you do. Maybe during this time that we've been absent from one another has been a good time for us to look at our lives and go, Lord, draw me back closer to you because I was trusting my wealth. Lord, draw me back closer to you because I was trusting the provision you've made in my life and these wonderful gifts that so often appear in a way that I can just consume as much food and as often as I like it. Could it be that the Lord is just simply speaking these truths into our lives so that we'll stop trusting anything except him? Anything, whatever it is. 
There are certainly dozens of other things that Jesus could have said, and they would have all been true. Church, life is built on character. Your life as a believer is built on character, specifically the character of Christ, and very specifically as we know it in God's word. But your life is built on character, and that character is always built on the decisions that you will make to either obey the Lord or not obey the Lord. To be doers of the word and not just to hear her only. Your life is built on character. You either have the character of Christ or you do not. Now that's the extreme sense of it. But as we're being sanctified and transformed into the image of Christ, as we're moving from day one to the final day, we're supposed to be increasing in godly character. In order for that to happen, I have to make great decisions. Those decisions we make are based on our values, and those values come from faith. And again, I turn your attention to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. The example there is Moses in verse 24. But as you look at this, you can see how Moses refused power, possession, and prestige. Moses refused to be a people pleaser. Moses wanted heaven more than earth. He didn't want what anyone thought except for God. And he believed God for every single word God spoke. In other words, he trusted God more than he trusted his enemies. Very little simple, just five verses. I think it's verse 24 to 29, maybe 30. But as you look at that passage, Moses, by faith, when he came of age, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why is that? He didn't want the world's power. He didn't want the world's prestige. He did not want what the world could offer. He wanted what only God could give. That's what Jesus is saying here. Live your life in such a way that as those values grow in you by faith, that as Paul would write to Timothy, finishing that chapter six that we looked a little bit at earlier, storing up for themselves a good foundation for time to come that you might lay hold of eternal life. That's what verse 19 says. That's a heavenly perspective. So these woes share a common truth. Do you have your eyes fixed on earth? Or do you have your eyes fixed on heaven? And I pray it's heaven. The Lord can help with those attitudes. The Lord can help with those decisions. The Lord can help with these things that we have to accept by faith so that we can grow in the knowledge, the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For you who don't know him, we have pastors online right now. Love to pray with you. Share the good news of the gospel with you in a specific way so that you can become a disciple yourself. For those of you who may be struggling during this time, just give those things over to the Lord and allow God to touch you in a wonderful way because he will. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can rest and trust in your everlasting arms, that you are good and your mercies endure forever. Lord, you're not against us, you're for us. Lord, that your abiding love in our lives even allows us to go astray and you welcome us back. Lord, we are that prodigal on the road and you're willing to gird up your loins and embarrass yourself to come and get us. And so God, we know it's no lack on your part to love us and bring us in and change us. Pray that there be no hindrance in our lives, God, to the things that you want to do. Help us to get our eyes off of this earth, off of the things of this earth, and keep them focused on heaven. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.